Erev Tov, good evening. We are back in our shiur on Agada, beginning with Masechet Berachot. And last week we had a little bit of a glitch in the beginning where we didn't send out the invitation properly. I want to repeat just a few important notes that I mentioned there before we get back into the sugya of the Mishnah and Masechet Berachot. So first and foremost, I highlighted a difference between the old yeshivot of Sefarad and the yeshivot of Ashkenaz. Two different models of yeshivot, two different styles of yeshivot. But perhaps one of the greatest and most overlooked differences between these yeshivot is how individuals studied in the yeshiva. In the Ashkenazi model of yeshiva, your average student studies from about 9 a.m. till 9 p.m., and from that whole time has a good three hours in the morning of time with his chavuta, studying one-on-one with a study partner, an amateur just like him, then goes into a shiul for one hour, an hour and a half, depending on where you are, in which the rabbi assumes that these talmidim studied everything they need to study on their own, and starts building an entire building on the sugya of the Talmud, on the piece of Talmud that they were supposed to prepare for three hours, And then most of the afternoon and evening are spent repeating and reviewing whatever it was that they studied from the Chacham, from their Rabbi, in that one hour, one and a half hours of instruction. So from an entire day in a yeshiva of Ashkenaz, you'll experience about an hour to an hour and a half a day of formal instruction on how to properly read and understand the Talmud which is in front of you. I mentioned this as opposed to the yeshivot of Chachamei Sfarad, in which the style was much more intense, a little bit less room, not for creativity, but for error. People would like to say that because I don't have so much time to study on my own, that I might, I don't have a chance to express myself. That's not the point. Express yourself when you're a Chacham already. When you're a Talmid Chacham, the whole definition of a Talmid Chacham is someone who's studying from a Chacham. That's the definition of a Talmid Chacham. Not somebody who's studying to become a Chacham by bypassing a Chacham. And because of that, in the Yeshivot of Chachamei Sfarad, the style was to sit either around a big table or in a semicircle or whoever, however the configuration was, was to sit in such a place and to learn from the morning until the evening. The Chacham would say, either you begin reading the Mishnah, read would correct pronunciation, would correct the, the punctuation, would make sure that everything was read correctly. Or in some places the Chacham would read and explain word for word, and the Talmudim would say it and take notes about everything. And if we happen to reference a Pasuk and Tanakh, the Chacham will take them to the Tanakh. And if we happen to reference a Halakha, and we'll take them to Halakha. And this is done with every single text that is studied in the Yeshiva. The main purpose being not just transmitting the oral Torah orally, but most importantly, to transmit the oral Torah accurately. So you don't learn mistakes. By the time you've had three hours to study a Mishnah on your own, before you come and hear how to read it properly, most likely the mistakes that you've made already are so deeply ingrained in you that to undo them takes a lot of work. We sometimes see this with pronunciation. You know, we had once a conversation here in our Bera Knesset about uh, the Tehillim we say in the morning how you sing the Tehillim to make sure to pronounce the Shvanah and Shvanach properly. 
So we have a, a sentence, let me just remember the tune, by looking at the words we mentioned here. We sing, Hallelujah, 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 The next part, Hallelujah, Unfortunately, many people studied this Tehillim incorrectly, and already ingrained in their mind is There suddenly became a pronounced Shiva in the letter Gimel. It's a mistake. Now, is it a tragic mistake? I don't know if it's tragic. Uh, not any more than any other mistake in a divine field will be. If Hebrew is a divine language, then the way in which we pronounce Hebrew is very important. And to make sure not to just throw around things, to in, in, incorrectly pronounce things. And that's the job of the Chacham, to teach the Talmudim, that they not only receive the oral Torah, but to receive the oral Torah accurately. This was such a value among our Chachamim. There's even a Gemara about Hillel HaZaken, Alam Shalom. Hillel, when he would repeat things he heard from his rabbi, not only would he repeat them in the same wording that his rabbi used, he would even repeat them in the same accent that his rabbi used, even if the accent was mispronouncing a word. The Rambam has a fascinating commentary over there. The Rabbi Yosef Masas, in his book, Nachalat Avot and Parkei Avot, says, what value is there to imitating somebody? I mean, who, who, who views imitation really as flattery? Most people will view imitate them. He said, at least in our countries, so Rabbi Yosef Masas writes, at least in our countries, you can almost be killed by imitating a person. You have to be careful not to, to imitate another person. Nonetheless, this this style of Limut Torah, which does not give room for mistakes to creep in. Mistakes are automatically corrected. That style of Limut Torah is crucial in understanding Torah properly. It would be much easier for us to sit here tonight and just, we read a Mishnah last week. You remember it more or less, what we said last week. You'll pick up whatever you forgot from last week by hearing how I explain it again this week. And then we'll build a nice building, we'll put a shell of Agadah on top of it, we'll add some nice commentaries, we'll take apart some words, we'll share a few different spiritual ideas perhaps that come out of the Talmud, and then we'll move on to the next piece of Talmud. But all of that would be transmitting the oral Torah, but not with the proper precision or accuracy that is required. We can't possibly come and build a building if the foundation is not there. And because of that, this week, what we're going to do is an embellishment on last week. We're going to repeat the Mishnah. We're going to read the Mishnah. You're not going to like me because I'm reading you the Mishnah again. But this time, there are many questions that we asked last week that we didn't answer. And I hope to hear perhaps some of what you may have looked up or researched on your own as answers to these questions. At the very least, I'm happy to share with you the things that the things that came up in my net when I went fishing in the Yama Talmud, what came out. Let's do this together again. So we're in the first Mishnah. Of Masechet Berachot. Me'matai korin et Shema. From when do we read Shema? In my book here it says Be'arvin. In other books it says Be'aravin. We mentioned that in some Mishnayot, Rabbi Yosef, I looked it up. In my Mishnayot at home it says Be'arvit. So, so even though your Mishnah doesn't say I'm assuming that it should be like what it says in the Talmud, but I didn't have a chance to dive deeply and to see, you know, who's the one who made the mistake, what's the correct version, why is there a discrepancy. But 
this word is right here. So from when do we begin to read Shema Yisrael in the evening? You remember there's a three-way machaloket, but everybody agrees to the same time that we begin. What's the time that we begin? That's a question you can answer. We begin to say Shema Yisrael from the time in which the Kohanim enter to eat their Tehumah. And we mention here that that is the same time as what? What's the halachic time for that? Tzeta Kohavim. When three stars come out. So this is, and the Gemara will later ask, why didn't you just say Tzeta Kohavim? Why do you have to bring up Kohanim now when we're talking about Shema Yisrael? Different question. We'll get there, Bezalat when we get there. For right now, This is the baseline. We begin saying Kiryat Shema from when the Kohanim begin to eat their Tehumah. Ad sof harishona until the end of the first watch. And we said today that we're going to explain what are watches in general. That means until the first third of the night. Let's just assume for now. Divrei Rabbi Eliezer. These are the words of Rabbi Eliezer. So Rabbi Eliezer says from when we, the three stars come out until the first third of the night. Anyone remember how Rashi explained why does Rabbi Eliezer believe that you can only say Shema until the first third of the night? Why do you have to stop then? Because you're actually allowed to say it till till dawn, but hoping that someone will not forget, fall asleep and forget. That's a man Gamliel. Right now, Rashi says, according to Rabbi Eliezer, you have to say Shema Yisrael until the first third of the night. After that, he doesn't even agree with Chachamim that you have until midnight or the next morning. And for him, it stops at the first third of the night. Why? Because it might forget, you said. No, no, no. What's... It's man, it's, uh, man shikha, it's the time when people are lying down. From where do we learn you have to say Shema at night? The Pasuk says, When you go to sleep and when you wake up. Says Rabbi Eliezer, doesn't mean at a time when people are sleeping, rather at a time when people are going to sleep. From when three stars come out until the first third of the night, that's a time where people are actively going to sleep. And because of that, according to Rabbi Eliezer, once the most of the world has already gone to sleep, you are no longer permitted to recite Kiryat Shema Shel Arvid, right? Arvid. Now, Chachamim obviously argue, and that's what most of you were remembering. The Chachamim, umrim, Chachamim say, Ad Chatzot, until midnight, Halachic midnight. We mentioned last week, how do you... How do you figure out when is halachic midnight if you don't have a watch and you don't have a, a phone and you don't have any way to check your local Jewish calendar? How do you know when the halachic midnight is? Three stars of the day. All of the shiurim, every measurement the Chachamim gave us are measurements you can measure on your own. Aside from an Orthodox Judaism. In Orthodox Judaism, you need special books for it. You have to, for what is the size of an olive? You have to go buy the Kezaid book. You have to go see. The people have charts. They bring to the Petzal Sedel to measure their matzot on them. What is the size of an egg? Well, are you talking about an ostrich egg or a chicken egg or a dinosaur egg? Or who knows what kind of egg you're talking about? Are you talking about a, and the, the, what Chachamim said olive, they meant the kind of olive you have in your refrigerator. Egg. The kind of egg your chicken lays, when the hen has. What, what kind of egg, what kind of question is that? When Chachamim say, Shkiat Sunset, 
When the sunset, sunset is not at 7.06. Sunset is when your eyes see the sun setting. The sun goes down over the horizon. When is Tzedek Chavim? When does night begin? Tzedek Chavim literally means when three stars come out. So you just look for three stars. What type of stars? Fine. There's a Machalok at the Magnapuskim about which type of stars. Big stars, small stars, steady stars. Fine. The morning. How do you know when Amud HaShachar? The pillar of dawn. Our Chachamim have a measurement. What's the earliest time you can put on your talit? What's the time? Nets. You can put on your talit before nets. What time? The Chachamim, don't give us a number. What's the, what's, what's the word? Meshiachir, very good. Meshiachir et chavero. From when you can identify your friend, not your best friend. Your best friend you can identify even in the middle of the night. A person you know, someone in the Bedek Knesset, you can identify them already, you can tell who that is walking towards you, you can put on your tali. There's another measurement Chachamim give us. When you can, Mishiachir, when you can differentiate between, which colors? Whiten the, the tchelet. Very good. Not the white and the tchelet, but between tchelet and and green. Green. Very good. Tchelet and green. I do this every year, Shavuot. I see the calendar. The calendar says you can put on talit already now. Everyone puts on their talit except for me. I wait another fifteen minutes after that. Ten minutes, depending. I go outside with my tchelet and I put it in my grass, and until I can tell the difference in the two of them, that's when I put on my talit. The same thing with midday. How do you calculate midday? Midday. We mentioned last week, and now you remember, I'm sure you remember midday. When you're standing in the middle of the street, don't stand in the middle of the street, you're standing in the middle of the field, the uh, uh, middle of a uh, sidewalk, whatever you are, driveway, and Hashemesh kofachat al rosho, the sun is beating down on your head, and you don't have a shadow in either direction, you are the sundial. You have no shadow, that's exactly halachic midday. So you look at your watch, it says 12.34, you know that at night, at 12.34, is going to be exactly halachic midnight. You should be able to calculate chatzot for yourself by knowing the middle of the day. In general, it's a mistake. It's a mistake to rely on these halachic calendars that we have. Those calendars are not accurate. Now, of course, they're accurate in, in terms of science. Scientifically, they're accurate. Halachically, they're not. I'm familiar. I'm familiar with the words of the Chachamim of the generation. You have to trust the calendar. Chacham of the Yosef was very into trusting the times and the calendars. It's a very simple thing. You know, you look. I send out an email every Erev Shabbat. When is the end of Shema Yisrael? When is the end of this? They vary about two minutes off every week, three minutes off every week. So on Sunday, on Sunday, just write down what time was Netzach What time did you see the sun? What time was Chatzot? What time was Shkiat Chama? And then you, for the rest of the week, you follow those times. The next week, the same thing. That way, if the weather changes or you're in a building or whatever, you'll know exactly what time it was. You don't need to rely on anybody else's calculations. You should train yourself that the measurements that Chachamim give us are very practical. They're very real, and that's why they chose those measurements. If Chachamim thought it was confusing to mention an olive, they would never use the, the word olive to tell us something. If Chachamim were to know that people would write books on the size of an olive, what is an olive? The evolution of an olive, then Chachamim would have never used the word olive. They would have chosen something else. But then I'm sure those same Chachamim would write the same books about whatever else our Chachamim chose. Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel says, not until midnight, rather, Ad amud until dawn. The children of Rabban Gamliel came from the Beit Mishteh. 
from a celebration of sorts. We're going to discuss that today. Amulo, they told him, Lo karinu shema. We did not yet read Shema Yisraelin. Amar lehem, Im lo ala amud hashachar, chayivin letem likrot. What are they really asking him? Abba, we didn't read Shema. Is a priest? Is they're making a confession? What's the What's the purpose of of telling him they didn't read Shema? What are they really asking him? Can we still say? Can we still say? May according to you, Rabban Gamliel, for sure we can still say Shema Yisrael. We're asking you, we who have an obligation to follow Chachamim, do are we also permitted to say Shema Yisrael, assuming that we probably missed Chatzot already? And what does Rabban Gamliel answer them? Im lo ala amud hashachar chayivin atem likrot. If you, if dawn has not yet begun, then you still have an obligation to read. And not only that, anything that the Chachamim say, ad chatzot, until midnight, Marlene and my mother, this is what you were saying, the mitzvah of anything our rabbis say until midnight is really until the morning, until dawn. So why, we're going to get to why Chachamim, but everything Chachamim say you have until midnight, really you have till the next morning. And then there's an example the Mishnah brings here. Hekter chalavim ve'evarim. The burning of the fats and the limbs of a koban, of a sacrifice. Mitzvatan ad The mitzvah is until dawn rises. Until the dawn begins. By the way, I mentioned to you over here, machloket um, between the Rashi and the Rambam. And I hope at least one of you looked up the Rambam, or you could look up the source in the Rambam, so you could read it to us in just a few minutes. V'chol ha'nechalim liyom echad, and everything that you eat in one day, that you have an obligation to eat them in one day, mitzvatan ad she'alem mudashachar, that day extends until dawn. Meaning, everything that you can only do in one day, you really have the next until the next morning for. Imken if therefore, if so, lama mu chachamim, why did the chachamim say ad chatzot, until midnight? To distance people from doing an avira. What does that mean? Someone explain it to me. Fence. Explain that. That's a, that's a word, Marlene. That's an explanation. Explain the fence. Well, if you say it by chatzot, then you're not going to be getting to say it before dawn. That's right. So we're, we're creating this cushion zone, this pillow, I don't know what there's a word for it. It's like a, a barrier between actually violating the, the mitzvah. So you really have until the morning. We know that you might forget, so we're going to tell you until midnight. Hopefully you'll make the cutoff before then. But Rabban Gamliel argues and says, and he doesn't argue, he argues that even according to the Chachamim, really you have until the next morning. But why the Chachamim say until midnight? Because they're hoping that you're not going to violate their words and you'll for sure say Shema Yisrael and not miss the final deadline. But if you're in a situation like his sons were, you are definitely able to read Shema Yisrael all the way until the morning. Yes, this is the Mishnah. Any questions on the Mishnah before we start to build our building? Anything? Okay, if you know the Mishnah, let's see how much you know the Mishnah. Now we're going to take apart all the words in the Mishnah, and we're going to see how well we really understood the Mishnah, because it's one thing to read something and to think we understood it. It's another thing to learn something and make all the proper conclusions. I'll tell you that in this Mishnah, I have two pages of notes, just on this Mishnah. And this is not according to Agadah, this is just according to Pshat. If I were to, I have, look, 
the pshat of the of this Mishnah took two notes, two pages of notes. Let's start with question number one. And by the way, Rabbi Yosef uh, Lopez, as well as Marlene Risman, they shared me, with me their uh, list of questions they wrote last week. I'm very, very grateful for that. And I posted that in the Google Classroom. If you want to see some of those questions, I hope that it will answer at least most of them, if not all of them. Me'ematai. Me'ematai means from when? From when do we begin to say Shema in the evening? There's a Chacham, his name the Me'iri. The Me'iri wants to explain why is it that the Mishnah is confused in the first place? Don't you already know when you're supposed to say Shema in the evening? I mean, where the premise of this Mishnah's question is that we're not sure when you're supposed to say Shema in the evening. What is so vague about this mitzvah that the Mishnah has to ask this question? Now, before I ask this question, there was a previous question. And that question was, from where do we even know that we have to reach Shema in the first place? I Meaning, the Mishnah should say, where does it say you have to reach Shema in the first place? That's actually the first question of the Gemara. The Talmud is going to ask this question. It's the first question you're going to see right after this Mishnah, and that's why I'm not addressing it right now. We'll get to that when we get to it. For right now, the Me'iri explains, how does the Torah tell you that you have to say Shema Yisrael at night? With which word does it use? The nighttime in the morning. How do you know you have an obligation to reach my Yisrael at night? What does it say in the Torah? When you go to bed, if the Torah would have said, you say Shema in the evening and Shema in the morning, then we'd already have the answer to the question. I mean, there would be no Mishnah here had the Torah said in the evening and the morning. We know when evening is in Halakha. We know what evening is from Tzedek until whenever the evening ends. You want to say it's until Fashon al-Chatzot, until Amud shacha We would know that already if the Torah would have used the word Ba'erev. Instead, what does the Torah say? Be'eshoch Becha. Our Chachamim are trying to understand why did the Torah not say in the evening. There must be something else the Torah is trying to tell us in this word Be'eshoch Becha. Now according to the Rabbi Eliezer, the first opinion, what does B'shoch B'cha come to teach you that Ba'erev doesn't teach you? What does in the time of going to sleep teach you that the word nighttime does not teach you? Nighttime. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, nighttime could mean the whole night. It, it's, it, it's very inclusive. B'shoch B'cha is... How do you say it? It's like a, it's, it's more exclusionary. Very good. And it has a smaller amount of time. And that's what Rabbi Eliezer is learning out from the usage of the Torah's, uh, the, 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 the Torah's usage of the word Bishok Becha. The Torah didn't say Ba'erev intentionally to teach you something about the time of saying Shema Yisrael. But that's why this Mishnah begins with from when do we say Shema in the evening? Well, doesn't the Torah tell you? No, the Torah does not tell you. The Torah doesn't tell you to say Shema at night and Shema in the morning. The Torah says Shema when you go to bed and Shema when you wake up. And therefore, the Chachamim have to tell us, So me'ematai korin et Shema baravin. From when do we read Shema in the evening? Until when? What, what is this time period? We know it's at night, but from when and until when? This we still need to explain. It's very important to understand that Chachamim, many people when they learn the words of Chachamim, they learn them 
with a certain zilzul, a certain uh, uh, disregard that the West has put into our Torah. We read the words of Chachamim like they're, oh, look at those rabbis nitpicking again. Look at those rabbis making trouble again. Why do the rabbis care how many cups of hot water you put your tea bag in on Shabbat? You know what the rabbis are doing for you? The rabbis are doing a chesed for you. The rabbis are making sure that you don't go crazy. What do I mean don't go crazy? The Torah says you can't cook on Shabbat. Our rabbis are trying to define what does cooking mean. Because if cooking means no usage of heat, no usage of hot water, then what are you going to do? You never have tea, you're not going to have food, you're not going to be able to eat your bread. There's nothing you're going to be able to eat. And maybe cooking is anything that melts or anything that comes out of the freezer you can't eat anymore. Chachamim are, are defining terms for us. And yes, they are splitting hairs. But they're splitting hairs for our benefit. They're splitting hairs so that we will be able to understand what exactly we are allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. So when Chachamim are saying, so what is night? It's not, oh, look at the rabbis, they, can't, they don't even know what night is. The Chachamim are trying to make sure that you don't make a mistake about what night is, and they're teaching us exactly the definition of Beshoch of, Becha, of this word. Now Chachamim disagree. The Chachamim understand Beshoch Becha to mean not when people are going to sleep, but rather when people are When people are sleeping, what's the difference? That would include the whole entire night. Because remember that Chachamim really believe you can say Shema Yisrael until until dawn. And the Chachamim's opinion is, you're right, Beshoch Becha teaches you the whole night. That's what Beshoch Becha is. A word, another word for Erev. Now, really, they might have to ask the question. So why does the Torah use the word Beshoch Becha? That's a good question. Korin. The next word. Someone translate for me the word Korin in Hebrew first, before you write it in English. Korin is in Aramaic. Or really, it's in Hebrew. But give me a modern Hebrew word you would use for this. Kore. Kore is in singular. Korin is in okay. plural. In Rabim. So how would you say it in modern Hebrew? Korin. Korin. Yeah. Korin is in plural. But Rabbi Yosef is right. It should say here, Mematai either kore shema ba'aravin or Mematai shema nikra ba'aravin. Like, like, where does it say Masechet Megillah? Look at Masechet Megillah. How does Masechet Megillah tell us the Mishnah there? Megillah nikret. The Megillah is red. So you just say shema nikret and then it could tell us why this usage of a, a plural. Korin. What the Korin must be telling us something. The Ritba, the Ritba on Masechet Megillah on, on on the first page uses a Yerushalmi, and he explains to us the following thing. He said by Megillah, one person can read the Megillah for the whole community. So one person goes up, and they read. Megillah for everybody. And because of that, the usage of the word Megillah is in singular. But when it comes to Shema Yisrael, every person has their own obligation to read Shema Yisrael. And because of that, it says, When do we all have to read? Because we can't rely on one person reading Shema Yisrael for us. You see that Chidush? That's what you call Pshat. Pshat is beautiful. You don't have to go running away to brisk or wherever you're going to go to find a beautiful Torah. In the, in the emet of the Torah, in the, in the pshat of the Torah, is truth. 
That's a, then there's a follow-up question. Let's read the Mishnah. From when to read Shema in the evening? When the Mishnah talks about When the Mishnah talks about making a blessing over Shema Yisrael, when it begins to discuss the Berachot, the Mishnah uses the word Mevarech in singular. And so the Gaon of Vilna, in his book Shnot Eliyahu, asks an interesting question. Why is it that by the recitation of Shema, we use the plural form, Korin et Shema Baravin, but by the blessings of the Shema, we use the singular Mevarech and not Mevarchim? Or mevarchin. What's the difference between the blessings of the Shema and the Shema itself? And the Gaon of Vilna explains that by the blessings of Shema Yisrael, we're able to say them for other people, like the Megillah. So mevarech and singular. I can recite the blessings of Kiryat Shema for you. But the Shema Yisrael itself has to be recited by the individual. And because of that, when the Mishnah talks about uh, the Shema itself, it uses plural, because everyone has his obligation. But when it talks about the blessings, the Berachot of Shema, that every person has to recite the blessing. Uh, one person can recite the blessing for everybody, and that's why it uses the singular. You should know, there's a famous work of uh, Chacham, the Shagat Aryeh. Shagat, what does Shagat Aryeh mean? The lion's roar, the roar of a lion. Uh, in the yeshivot of the Ashkenazim, they call him the Shaigas Aryeh. I never knew who he was until I saw the book. Wow, that's who the Shaigas Aryeh is. I didn't know. Shagat Aryeh, the roar of the lion. They used to say that when he used to learn Torah, and he, would get, he really looked like a lion who was roaring. This was a, a certain personality that Shagat Aryeh had. Shagat Aryeh had a famous uh, com- competitor in his generation. There was another Chacham who wrote a book called Seder HaDorot. It was a book of the history of all the Chachamim and the generations of the Jewish people. And they once met in a certain place. And they were having this debate between whose work was more valuable. The Pirpul, the genius novel inside of the Shagat Ariya and the Talmud, or this more simple work of the history of the Jewish people, the stories of the Chachamim. Which of them is more important? And the Shagat Ariya tells the Baal Seder HaDorot, listen, my book is so brilliant, it's so sharp, that when the Jewish people forget the Torah, because the Talmud says, the Torah will eventually be forgotten from the Jewish people, when the Jewish people look in my book, it will jumpstart them into remembering the Torah, and even when they forget it, they'll remember the Torah because of my book. And the Baal Seder HaDorot says, yes, that might be true, but because of my book, the Jewish people will never forget the Torah in the first place. Shagad Aryeh in Siman Vav, he writes against the Gaon of Vilna, and he says that the individual can read Shema Yisrael, both the blessings and the actual Shema, for everybody else. The Mishnah Bura, Chavetz Chaim, he also writes in Siman Samech Aleph, the laws of Shema Yisrael, he also writes over there that the individual, one individual can recite Shema Yisrael for everybody. And it seems like most of the Chaunim, at least, they rule not like the Gaon of Vilna, but like uh, the Chachamim who say that one person can read Shema Yisrael for everybody. The real question then is for them. According to those who say that the individual can recite Shema Yisrael for everybody, so why does the Mishnah use the plural here? Why Kohen? 
the Gaon of Vilna has a good answer because the individual can't read Shema for everybody, so each person has to write their own Shema. But according to these Chachamim, they can. So in which case, they must offer us an explanation why the Mishnah uses the word Korin. I really wanted to chase down this trail, but then I realized it would take us into a discussion of Halakha, and I promise you that this year was going to be about Pshat, so we can do Agadah, and not to take a tangent to my favorite world of Halakha, and so we're not going to be doing that B'zal Hashem together. If you'd like to chase down that lead, I recommend you looking at these uh, sources, the Gona Vilna, Shagat Ariyeh, look also on the Mishnah Bua, all around Siman Samech Aleph and Shukhan Aruch. Tiferet Yisrael, in his commentary on the Mishnayot, has a much simpler explanation, which is Mistabel. You can argue that maybe this is what the other Chachamim believed, and that's why they didn't make the same diuk, the same, someone help me with the English word for diuk, the same... Distinction. Distinction, the same... Correct. What? Correct. No. Correct. Diuk, when you, when you infer something. They didn't make the same inference from the from the Talmud, because they believe this understanding of Korin. Korin, if you look in the laws of Shema Yisrael, if you look in the tool, Siman Samech, Samech Aleph, the tool over there writes all about how much Kavanah a person has to have for saying Shema. And we know that our Chachamim always recommend for us things that you need Kavanah for, things you need intention for, it's best to say them out loud. And so the word Korin doesn't come in terms, it doesn't come to say plural, you reach him at plural, but Korin, as in call out the Shema Yisrael. Don't mumble it silently to yourself, but we should say Shema Yisrael out loud. And I will tell you that the original Minhag of Am Yisrael was the whole community says Shema Yisrael out loud together, word for word. This is mentioned in the Midrash and Shira Shirim. Rabbi Yosef Kapach, in his books, Ktavim uh, or Ktavav, he has a few volumes of his own writings. In there, Rabbi Yosef Kapach says, how could it be? that the only community left on earth which says Shema Yisrael word for word together out loud is the Yemenite community. How could it be that the Temanim came to Israel and gave up this minhag for an inferior minhag? He says it's okay if you give up minhagim for superior minhagim, but to lose your minhagim for inferior minhagim is unheard of. This idea of Korin and Shema Ba'aravin, we read Shema out loud so we have Kavanah in the words that we say in Shema Yisrael. In general, when you mumble in Tefillah, you have no Kavanah. And it's very important not to mumble in Tefillah. Uh, and there's there are many many uh, good things that come out of not mumbling tefillah. The least of them, which are, are kavanah, but there are many other benefits. One of them is learning how to pronounce words properly. I never understood why when I go to some Knesset, the chazan does his silent amidah in three and a half seconds, and then he comes to chazat ashatz, and it takes him twelve minutes to do the amidah. How is it that miraculously he can read Hebrew so fast when he's whispering it to himself? And when it comes to saying the words out loud and pronouncing them properly, halavah, he pronounces them properly, uh, it takes him 12 minutes. It should take him 12 minutes when he says, I mean that too, because you should say every word properly. It's a very unusual thing when people get used to mumbling their tefillot. I will say the shevach for the sfaradim, we don't mumble any tefillot. We don't say anything quietly. Amidah is the only thing we say quietly. It's called tefillat alachash. It's uh, the prayer you say quietly. But everything else we say out loud. You can't compare with and then mumble, 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 mumble until the end. You have to know how to pronounce words. And if the chazan doesn't know how to pronounce words and the rabbi doesn't know how to pronounce words, how do you expect the children to know how to pronounce words? Korin. You should learn to say things out loud. My dear friend Rabbi Moshe Ben Zaken, Hashem should bless him with good health and a good life. In his school, the minahag is that whoever goes up to the teva, Ashkenazi, leads services in Ashkenazi. Savaradi leads Savardic services. 
The only rule is that no matter which background you come from, the tefillot have to be loud and clear. No mumbling in the tefillah. It's very important to teach people, especially children, but adults as well, to teach people how to pronounce words correctly. Baravin. So this word, Baravin. And I mentioned to you last week that the Mishnayot, some of them say Ba'arvit, and it could be that that's why there's two ways to read this word. You see some books are vowelized Ba'arvin, and some are vowelized Ba'arvin. It could be that those who vowelize the book Ba'arvin is because really that's a leftover of Ba'arvit, when it had a taf at the end, and that's why it has that Nikud. Whereas if it were to have the word Ba'arvin, uh, that it would have to be pronounced that way instead of Ba'arvin, I really have to ask my friends who are Medagdakim, I'm not from the Medagdakim, there's someone who knows Hebrew grammar well and can tell me how to properly vowelize the word Ba'arvin. In my notes, I wrote down that I have to ask my friends who are Medagdakim, Ve'ol Chazan Amoed. Medad Hashem, Hashem will allow us the time and opportunity to ask this question. But let's talk about why Ba'arvin. Why is this in plural? Why when we say, why didn't say, Me'matai Korin Shema, what word should it have said? Ba'erev, very good, in the evening. Why in the evenings? What are these evenings? Why Ba'aravin? Why is there more than one evening? Are we mentioning all the evenings of the week? What are we saying exactly? Ba'aravin. Every, every day. So when do you read Shema in the evenings every day? Okay, I'll, I'll take it. That could be a pshat as well. I'll take it. The Gaon of Vilna, again in his book, Shnot Eliyahu, has an interesting understanding that there are Two, Location. there are two Aravin, there are two evenings in general. And he says there's an evening that begins after Chatzot, the day begins to go out, and then there's the real evening that happens after Shkiat Chamam. And that's why we call the time between sunset and when three stars come out, what is that time? Uh, what do we call that time in halakha? You know? What do we call in halakha the time between sunset and three stars coming out? Ben Harbaim. Or Ben Hashmashot. Also, Ben Harbaim. What is Ben Harbaim? Meaning Ben Haravim. Between the two evenings, says the Gonavina. Between the evening that begins after Shkiat Chama and the evening that begins. Uh, after Chatzot, even that begins after Shkiat HaChama. And Zman Kriyat Shema is Ba'aravin after we finish both of those evenings. So don't think that you could read Kriyat Shema earlier. Rather, Kriyat Shema can only be read after the, the, the three stars come out. Misha Shakonim, Nechnasim, Lechol Bitumatan. The word Erev. Erev. Evening. Why not Laila? After three stars come out, really it's nighttime. What's what is the what's the difference between erev and laila? What is erev? Erev is they mean the same thing, by the way. Don't say eve is the eve in in American English means something else. Erev does not mean eve. Erev means nighttime. What's the difference, or why do what is the meaning of the word erev as opposed to laila? Laila is the whole night. That is the whole night, and Erev is? Short time, from, um, from Ben Ashmasho, Ben Arbaim, till midnight. So, so you must be is from it, the Chachamim. It's, isn't it, isn't it uh, twilight? So that's Ben Arbaim. But Erev, Erev is that whole beginning of the night time. 
Why is the, that's very good, so now you got to the right point. Why is the beginning of the night called Erev? There's a commentary of the Radak. The Radak writes, he has a book called Sever HaShorashim. In the book Sever HaShorashim, he has a, an entry in Erech Erev. He called about Erev and he writes the following. He says that at this time, it starts to get dark. It's the beginning of the night where you transition from day into night. And because of that, you start to be unable to differentiate between things. And the things become mit'arbevim be'enav. The things that you see start to become confused. They become uh, confuddled with each other. You can't tell the difference between things anymore. And because of that, the beginning of the night is called erev. To refer to the, the irbuv, the mixing up of how you see things in the beginning of the night. That's the root of the Hebrew word erev. That's how he explains it. You accept? Like an Eruv, like Eruv Hatsirov, it mixes all that. Yeah, Femeod. I should write that in my notes. Can you send that to me afterwards in a message so I can add it to my notes? Again, Eruv is to, to mix things, to combine things. So this is the beginning where things start to be mixed up. That's how the Radak explains Erev. In Mishle, the Pasuk says, Beneshech Be'erev Yom. It's in the seventh chapter of Mishle, in Pasuk Tet. Beneshech Be'erev Yom. The Gon of Vienna over there writes, What does it mean, Erev? Erev is the beginning of the night because it's the time in which day and night mix. It's Laila, we said, is really when it's dark at night and Yom is when it's day and night. Erev is the time when it's still night and day are, are, are mixing with each other. There's some beautiful videos of where the salt water and the fresh water mix in the ocean. And it's a, I think they have a word for it. It's like brackish water, they call it. And that water, it's the mixing of day and night. is called Erev. That's why the Mishnah used the word Erev, because we're talking about this part of the night. There's a Ramban. I wrote in my notes here. A Ramban in Shmot, in chapter 12, Pasuk Vav. So 12.6. The Ramban over there has a lengthy piece in which he discusses the meaning of the word Erev, what is Erev, where does Erev come from, why the word Erev is used as opposed to Laila. I, it's, it's a very lengthy piece, has a lot of details in it. I'm not going to learn it with us tonight, but if Bezal Hashem you wish to look something up more about what the word Erev means, I recommend looking in the Ramban on uh, Shemot, chapter 12, Pasuk Vav, 6. We mentioned Nichnasim lechol bitrumatan. The Kohanim enter to eat their Tehumah. They enter to eat their Tehumah. Why doesn't it just say when the Kohanim eat their Tehumah? When the Kohanim have their Tehumah? The, why enter? Why Nichnasim? What is actually happening here that we have to use the word they enter to eat their Tehumah? Does it mean they have to eat it in the temple? Okay, they have to eat it in the temple. Very good. So you're going to bring up a, a source of the... Uh, of the Tiferet Israel, the Tiferet Israel in Yachin, in Ot Bet over there, he writes, Nichnasim is because they, where are the Mikvaot? The Mikvaot are not in the Bet Mikdash, where are they? Outside. Outside, not where the old city is today. You know, if you ever look in those digs over there, they're full of Mikvaot. The old city is full of Mikvaot, of the Kohanim, who used to immerse, and they would come to the Bet Mikdash after immersing in the Mikveh. So, Marlene, you're correct. The Tiferet Israel writes that Nichnasim refers to the physical action of finishing in the Mikveh and entering into the Bet Mikdash in order to eat their Tehuma. And that's why the Mishnah uses the word Nichnasim. Siftei Chachamim. He mentions, Nichnasim 
is a word of entry, it's a spiritual entry. Nichnasim mituma letahara. They enter the realm of tahara after they were in the realm of tuma. And I don't want to translate impurity, impurity, but that's, those are the English words that are used. But they're entering a state of tahara after being in a state of tuma. And that's why it says nichnasim. The nichnasim is not referring about a physical space, but rather about their, their, uh, Tuman tahara status that they've now entered a new status and they're coming to eat their uh, tuma. There's a book Imre Noam. Imre Noam writes something interesting. The Kohanim are coming into the Benedictine to eat their tuma. What's the first question of this Mishnah? What's the first thing we asked? From when are you, do you read Shema in the evening? What's the answer of the Mishnah? So now the Kohanim come into the Bet Mikdash. That means that immediately when they come to the Bet Mikdash, what are they supposed to do? Go to the Mikveh. No, they already went to the Mikveh before. What are they supposed to do? They should say the Shema. They should say Shema Yisrael. Are you allowed to eat before you you say Shema Yisrael? Are you allowed to eat before you pray Arvit? No. No. Just like you cannot eat before you pray Shacharit, you are not allowed to eat before you pray Arvit. So now the Kohanim are coming to the Bet Mikdash, but they're not allowed to eat their Tehumah yet. Says the Imre Noam, that's why the Mishnah uses the word, Nichnasim Lechobitumatan. They enter into the Bet Mikdash, but they're not yet allowed to eat their Tehumah. Now they can only enter. Say Shema Yisrael, and then they can eat their Tehumah. And that's why the Mishnah is particular to use the word Nichnasim. They enter Lechobitumatan. What I don't understand about that, and because the lamed in, in Echol, the only reason they're entering is Lechol, is not to be. Nichnasim, Lechol. Oh, very good, very good. Oh, but the Kohanim used to pray together, didn't they? So they would come in with their truma. That's why it says oh. truma, not just the Echol truma. So they would come in. They'd bring their lunch bags or dinner bags to eat together, and then. I guess they'd say Shema first, and they'd all sit down and eat together. Rama Mipano is a famous, uh, I think he's an Italian Chacham, if I'm not mistaken. He says, actually, and uh, Pam, this is for you, he says that they're not even allowed to touch their Tehumah until this time happens. So they can't even touch their Tehumah until both the sun has set and they've gone to the Mikveh. And that's why the Mishnah says, Nichnasim lechol bitumatan. Now they're coming, they're, they're coming because they had to wait outside. They weren't even allowed to be near their tuma until the right time begins. By the way, in the laws of Tarat Mishpacha, we have a similar precedent, which is if a person had to go to the mikveh early, we make sure that they don't enter home. Either one of them doesn't enter home until that time, so the, because that's the distance that has to be maintained here. There's actually a, you know, there's, Araperetz always tells us this line. Remember this line. Hapashtut, hi ha'emet. The most simple answer is the truthful answer. There's always a simpler answer. Pshat is a very important thing. There's a famous, I want to tell you the name of the Chacham. Well, you know, we mentioned the Gaon of Vilna a lot. The Gaon of Vilna has some very beautiful things that he wrote, the Fiyah Pshat. 
the Gaon of Vilna is not a typical Ashkenazi Tamikha. And he was very much beloved in many Sephardic communities because of his, his certain sharpness when it came to Pshat. The Gaon of Vilna had a grandson. I don't remember his name right now. He had a grandson who once had to interview a certain Tamikha wanted to come to the Yeshiva and he wanted to interview him. And he asked him a certain question. Why in the Mishnah Masech Berchot does it say this? But in Mishnah Masech Megillah it says something else. Is if you can tell me the answer my grandfather told me, I'll let you into the Yeshiva. And this Khan said, give me a few hours. And he goes to the Midrash and he works out a whole people. Why in Berchot it says this and Megillah it says that. And he comes and tells him the answer. He says, that's a good answer. But it's not the answer my grandfather gave. He says, give me another chance. It's fine. Tomorrow morning I want another answer. He spends the whole night, he doesn't sleep, he learns and learns, and comes back with a three-hour explanation for why this Mishnah says this and that Mishnah says that. The grandson of the Gaon of Vilna says it's a good answer also, but it's not the answer my grandfather gave. You have one last chance and I'm not talking to you anymore. So he went and he spent the whole day studying and that night he comes back to the grandson of the Gaon of Vilna and says, I have an answer, this is the answer. And he tells him the answer and he says, I'm sorry, but that's not the answer my grandfather gave. So listen, if you're going to send me away from the yeshiva anyways, at least tell me what the answer your grandfather gave was. He said, my grandfather said that the Mishnah and Masech and Berachot and the Mishnah and Masech and Megillah are not contradicting each other at all. They say the same things. But you never bothered to look at the Mishnah to see that they said the same things. And you believed me when I told you there's a contradiction between them. So many times people make uh, uh, problems where there are no problems in the first place. How many books were written in the Rambam to explain why he uses one word here and one word there, until Rabbi Yosef Kappa comes along and says, in the original manuscripts of the Rambam, he used the same word in both places. So you spent your whole life trying to explain a mistake or a contradiction in the Rambam that never was a contradiction. Rambam Ipano says that he has old books, old copies of the Mishnah, and in the old copies of the Mishnah, the Mishnah just says, it doesn't say nichnasin lechobutumatan. It says mishaash akoanim nichnasin letumatan. When they go to their tuma, sorry, Michina, I, I made a mistake here. Ignore everything I just told you right now. Raman Pano is telling something else. In the old books of Mishnah, I'm a mistake. Uh, in the old books of Mishnah, it says hakoanim nichnasin letumatan, not lechol bitumatan. Because that's what I was trying to tell Pam. They weren't allowed to eat it yet. They weren't allowed to touch it yet. They just came into the Ben Mikdash. This leads to a big machloket among the later Acharonim to try to figure out so are the Kohanim really allowed to eat their Tehumah before they say Shema Yisrael? There's a Chacham Datzlach. He wrote a book, Tzion the Nefesh Chaya. If I'm not mistaken, he named it after his mother who passed away, Chaya. I might be wrong, but I think I'm correct. This is a, a, you're going to hear him quoted a lot. Tzlach wrote some of the most fascinating Chidushim on the Shas. He has an introduction to the Talmud, which actually has been translated recently into English. I think, Marlene, I think I sent you a link about that once. A, a fascinating introduction, which I always had in Hebrew, but now they translate it into English. Some very, very important Yisodot, foundations to understand the Talmud. The Tzlach says that the Kohanim, they have an exception to the rule. They're allowed to eat their Tehuma before Kriyachma. The Maharsha disagrees. Maharsha says they can't eat before uh, Kriyachma, like everybody else who can eat before Kriyachma. It's only the time in which technically they would be allowed to eat before Kriyachma. And there's a book called the Ginze Yosef. I don't have that book in front of me, but that book I saw quoted by someone else. The Ginze Yosef says there are two things that might happen here. The Kohanim entered the Ben Mikdash, and maybe to eat their Tehumah they're not allowed. But Ti'ima Ba'alma, to taste 
taste a little bit of the tumah, they're allowed. So we say, it's not that they ate before Kriyat but it's that they tasted a little bit before Kriyat Or, Or, perhaps the Kohanim began to eat already in the daytime. Not their tumah, but they began to eat their dinner. And then they served the tumah when, when three stars come out and they finish going to the mikveh. Like you do on Shabbat afternoon. We start Sudash Shishit. And sometimes we go into the night. How are you eating before Arvit? Why are we allowed to eat then before Arvit? Why don't we stop and say Shema Yisrael? What's the answer to that? We've already established our meals. Yes. You, you started your meal behetel. You started your, you're allowed to eat before the sunset. So now that the three stars came out, you don't have to break and, and say Arvid. But as soon as you're done, you have to say Arvid. And therefore, this is the reason why the Kohanim nichnasim lechol bitumatan. Either because they were allowed to taste it, or they were allowed to eat their tewuma because they already began their regular dinner. Not their tewuma dinner, their regular dinner before the three stars came out. And now when the three stars came out, they were now able to they eat their tewuma without saying kriyashma because their meal began behetel. This is very important. It might sound like a little detail. It's very important to understand the story of Rabban Gamliel and his sons and how they were able to go drinking before what? Before they said shema. Meaning, how did you drink? You forgot to say shema because you were drinking. Who let you drink before you said avid? We're going to get there. Just a moment. Just a moment. So what do we answer? You're allowed to say Shema, and I'm setting the, I'm paving the, the road here so that next time we study together, we can start to do Agadah together. Because we have to understand the Mishnah well. Kohanim. Misha'ah kohanim nichnasim lechol bitumatan. Misha'ah kohanim nichnasim lechol bitumatan. Who else is allowed to eat Tuma? Which non Kohen is allowed to eat Tuma? She's a Kohen, though. Very good. She's a, she's a Kohen. Meaning, she's allowed to because she has the status of a Kohen. Let me ask you in, let me ask you in a fairer way. Can a non-Kohen eat Tehuma? She's a Kohen. How about So nobody can... The answer is nobody. Only a Kohenim are able to eat their Tehuma. So why does the Mishnah, the Tzrach, ask this question? Now, who can eat? Who is it coming to exclude? Misha'asha Kohanim, why don't you just say, either Misha'asha Nichnasim Lechol Bitumatan, when they enter to eat their Tehumah. We know who you're talking about, because nobody else can eat Tehumah. Why does it specify the word Kohanim? Rabbi? Yes. Uh, could, it, could it be, because later in the Mishnah, it talks about how the, um, the work of the priests often went well into the night. And their sacrifices would be burnt throughout the night, and they weren't able to actually eat until probably the wee hours of the morning. So, could it be bringing up the kohanim because it's giving an exception, which is actually more inclusive because it's giving a, a parameter whereby people who are who are in their work they have to wait until they finish their work before they can fulfill. Is that is that a connection? There? And, and well, it's a, it's a very good point. But then that's why kohanim are are specified here. That's interesting. I told you before. I told you before that slach says that kohanim are allowed to eat their food even before they say kriyat shema. They're allowed to as soon as the three stars come out before they say shema. They're allowed 
to eat their tumah. And he says, how do I know that? Because the Mishnah says, The Mishnah doesn't say what? The Mishnah could have said, The Kohanot don't have an obligation to say Shema in the evening. Because of that, they were able to eat now. The Mishnah specifies Kohanim, male Kohanim, to tell you that those Kohanim who really have an obligation to say Shema Bavavin, even they were allowed to eat their uh, food before they said Shema Yisrael. Meaning, the Mishnah specifies Kohanim because if it would have said Kohanot, then it wouldn't tell you anything about the Kohen being able to eat. He uses this Mishnah as a proof to his opinion that a Kohen is really allowed to eat his food before he says Shema Yisrael. Now, really the question is, so those who disagree with him, why do they understand that the Mishnah uses the word Kohanim? I didn't have time to investigate that further, but if you want to investigate that further, I can... Uh, Highly recommend you look. Someone give me an answer. Send me a message during the week and let me know. I maybe found a different understanding for why he uses Kohanim. But for the Tzlach, the reason why the Mishnah specifies Kohanim is to teach you at this point that Kohanim are allowed to eat their Tilma before they say Shema Yisrael. Are the Kohanim allowed to eat their Tilma How do the Kohanim know what? If we're using the Kohanim as a parameter to say Shema, how do the Kohanim know what time it is that they can eat the Tumah? We're using the Kohanim to the... Because really, when when we say Bishat, imagine this. Imagine if I told you, um, what time does Tfilah start? I tell you, at candle lighting. Candle lighting? What do you mean? What's candle lighting? Why did you tell me 719? Because you you already know what candle lighting is. You look in your calendar, you'll know what time to feel is. It's easier for me to say candle lighting. The Kohanim know when they can eat. The Kohanim know that Shash Akonikhtumatan is Tetakukhavim. They have no doubt as to when they're allowed to eat their so we're using their time. Everyone knows. Everyone knows the Kohanim and Tetakukhavim, they come to eat their tuma. Maybe not all of us now, but everyone then knew that saying t- uh, Kohanim come to eat tuma is synonymous with saying three stars come out. So the Kohanim weren't left hanging. They, they knew exactly when they were able. And in fact, the Gemara, like I mentioned, is going to ask, so why don't you just say Tzedek Chavim? If the Kohanim know what time it is. And they, so why do, you, why do you even bring the Kohanim into this conversation at all? Uh, if you want, it's, it's okay. This week, already you can read the beginning of the Gemara, which will ask this very question. I just want to ask about the Kohanim. Yes. They work in shifts of 24 hours, right? So not all of them is at the same time. What the other one do meantime? So who are we talking about right now? What kind of Kohen are we talking about right now? Not every Kohen. We're not talking about every Kohen here. Which kind of Kohen? Why is the Kohen waiting now uh, after the Mikvah? Why is he going to the Mikvah in the first place? This is a Kohen who became Tameh. And this is the first time he's able to come to the Bed Mikdash and eat his Tumah after however long he was supposed to wait uh, for, for this time. So we're, we're, we're not talking about all the Kohanim, we're talking about this specific group of Kohanim which are now coming to eat their Tumah. Now I think, Rabbi Yosef, in your list you wrote down a question that I asked which was, why do we say, Bitumatan? They come to eat their Tumah as opposed to what? What could we have just said? Yeah, very good. Tuma. You just say the word Tuma. Why their Tuma? Why are you getting so possessive over your Tuma? What happened here? The Quranim is be Tuma Tan in their own Tuma. Tosfot Yom Tov says that this is very similar 
to what we have later in the Gemara. If you, if those of you who've learned Masech Berchot, we talk about other times, the times when people come, that people come to eat their bread. It's the same wording. The Mishnah is just a wording of, it's their food. What does it come to teach you? When they come to eat their bread. When you come to eat your food. What's the difference between food and my food? Says Tosvot Yom Tov, this food was already ready for them. It was theirs. It was their tiruma. It was already prepared for them. It's like when you come home, the Shabbat food, it's your food, it's mukhan. And because of that, there was no reason. It's not like you're going to now say, well, the Kohanim entered to eat their tiruma, but it's going to take time to get the tiruma ready, to serve it on plate, whatever. That already is not true. The Kohanim had their food ready, and the language of Betumatan, it's their food, tells you that it was already ready to be eaten. And you don't have to add any extra time between three stars coming out, and when you could begin saying Kriyat Shema. I mean, you don't have to calculate in there how much time it would take for the Kohanim to prepare their Tilma, because it was already ready for them. That's the diuk of the word Betumatan. Let's talk about Mishmarot. I know that I'm over time. I know that. But I, I want to finish this so that we can go into Rosh Hashanah knowing this Mishnah. We don't have to come again and do Pshat. I want to be able to come back again and learn with you uh, some insights of the Agada. The word Mishmeret. Mishmeret. We mentioned Mishmeret as a watch. But what is a Mishmeret? A shift. A shift. A shift. A shift of what? The interval of 24 hours, you divide it. If you look in Bamidbar, the book of Bamidbar, in chapter 3, verse 7, Rashi over there writes that a mishmar is a kinui letafkid shadam mune alav lasoto. It's the name of a job that a person is tasked with. A job that you're tasked with is your mishmar. I have the mishmar now, you have mishmar later. It could be mish- everyone does mishmarot for different things, but it's a job that I'm tasked with. Who is that? Ta- what's the job? What's the tafkid? What are we being tasked with? That already, you're going to look in Rashi and Dav Gimel Amud Aleph. If you look in the Talmud that I sent you, on page 3, uh, Rashi writes over there. Let's uh, find it. Why not? I'm actually using a different Gemara than you are. So. Very good. I have to look in the real Gemara. The Gemara writes here. Ikesavar. You see here, this uh, Rashi over there starts with Ikesavar. Rashi writes. There's an opinion that says, There are three watches in the night. I mean, the night is split up into three parts. In the service of the angels of Hashem. The angels come to worship Hashem, and they have three shifts. There are three shifts of angels. And the song that the angels sing to HaKadosh Baruch is split into three parts. Rishona Lakatachat. The first part of the song is for the first group of angels. The second part of the song is given to the second group of angels. The third part of the song is for the third part of the angels. There is an opinion that holds that there are four parts to the night, not three parts to the night. It's not a conversation for us at all right now. Let's work with the assumption that there are three watches on the night and not four watches on the night. But essentially the word mishmar 
is a mishmar, it's a watch, a watch of angels. There are shifts of angels. It's like when you, uh, you know, you go to, I don't know if you're like me, you shop very late at night in different places, you have to go run and get something for Shabbat. So you come and you see the day watch people are, are, have left and the night watch people have shown up. Or you, you go visit somebody in a hospital and you know 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock at night, the shifts change. The nurses leave, the doctors leave. It's the worst time to ask any questions because nobody knows what's going on for about an hour or so after the shifts change. By the Malachim, it's the same thing. When we use the word Mishmar, it means a third of the night, but the word comes from the shifts of the angels that shift every third of the night. They keep shifting between thirds. And that's why the Mishnah used the word Mishmeret. I want to leave you off with two last things, and we'll get into Sikhot, Bezalat Hashem. Rashi, that I read to you last week, he said that really the hekter chalavim ve'evarim, the burning of the fats in the limbs, is not a good example. Rashi quotes the Gemara in Masechet Megillah on page 20b. The Gemara there says that you can burn the fats in the limbs until the next morning. He says, so why does the Mishnah use this example? It's not a good example of where Chachamim say until midnight and you have till the next morning. The Talmud there already tells you that you can burn these fats and limbs until the next morning. He said the only reason why they use it is to show you, what is Lashi saying? To show you that anything which needs to be done at night can really be done until the next morning. But it's not a proof to the, the idea of Rabban Gamliel, which is anything Chachamim say until midnight you can do till the morning. Rather it's a proof to the concept that anything you do at night, you really night extends until the morning. I mean, he was bringing it more as a proof to his opinion of Rabban Gamliel that Shema Yisrael can be done until the morning than as a proof to his claim that even the Chachamim would agree with him that they said until midnight but really until the morning. Yes, that's what Rashi says. So Rashi is saying this is not really a good proof that the rabbis say midnight and you have till the morning. It's just a good proof that you have until morning for anything that you have to do at night. But the Rambam that I told you to look up, the Rambam disagrees. If you look in Hilchot Ma'aseh Korbanot, the laws of sacrifices, in chapter 4, Halakha Bet, the Rambam writes over there that you can offer, the, you can burn the Chalavim Ve'evarim until midnight. And only B'di'avad, if you miss midnight, you can do it until the morning. Ah, where does the Rambam learn that from? What about Rashi's Gemara? Rashi says the Gemara only says you have till the morning, doesn't say anything about midnight. So where does the Rambam get the idea of midnight from? Where does the Rambam learn that you can only burn fats and limbs until midnight? If the mission, the Gemara, from where? Our Mishnah. Very good. The source is from here. The Rambam says, why are you forgetting about this Mishnah? The Chachamim don't need to repeat themselves over there by the Kobanot. Because already here they told you that even by burning fats you have until midnight. And so here's a Machloket between Rashi and Rambam whether or not the Chachamim made a decree that you can only burn fats until midnight. And according to Rabban Gamliel, the reason why he brought this proof is because he understood the, the Chachamim to be saying you have only until midnight. But really, if you didn't get a chance, you can do it until the day. The Tosafot, Tosafot who are mostly descendants of uh, Rashi, they agree with the Rambam over this one and they say that Chachamim most definitely made a limitation of midnight. And really you can only have until the morning if you miss that midnight mark. And the Me'iri is the one who explains this whole idea that the Chachamim, where does the Ramam learn it from? Uh, learns it from here. 
from this Mishnah, you know that the Chachamim made a Takana. So you don't have to learn over, the, the, the Gemara doesn't have to repeat itself a second time that Chachamim said until Chatzot, because already over here they said until Chatzot. So the story. There's a story about the children of Rabban Gamliel. They come back from a Mishteh. What's a Mishteh? What is the definition of a Mishteh? Big feast. A feast. A feast. If you look in Megillat Esther, in Perik Hay, Pasuk Dalet, Chapter 5, Pasuk 4, Rashi over there writes that Mishteh is any meal, any feast is called a Mishteh. Why is it called a Mishteh? Mishteh means to drink, not to eat. So why do you call f- meals drinks? It's a very confusing thing when you call foods drinks. Why do you call a Mishteh, a meal, uh, why do you call a meal a Mishteh, which means to drink and not to eat? When you eat, you drink too. It drink what? Include, it involves alcohol. Very good. The ikal of the meal is the alcohol. Nobody came for your roasted chicken. Everybody came for the drinks. They came to the party because there's an open bar at the party tonight. That's why they're there. So the ikal of the meal is drinking, even though it's food. And because of that, any time you see the word mishteh, it's called a mishteh, even if they're, because it revolves around the consumption of, of alcoholic beverages. The Rambam, before we get to the Rambam, there's a book, this personality is uh, interesting how you, who he really was. Rabbi Natan, who was the head of the yeshiva, though, he writes that Mishteh Hayayin is any wedding. Weddings are referred to as Mishteh Hayayin. And I'll tell you that when I read these Mishnayot uh, many years ago, that's how I was taught. Mishteh Hayayin is, uh, Mishteh is a wedding. They were at a wedding and they came back from a wedding. Yeah, and that's, whenever you see the word Mishteh, it refers to a Mishteh Nisuin, a Suda Nisuin. Rambam, Rambam doesn't say that. Rambam just writes that Mishteh is anywhere where they serve alcohol. Where they serve Yain. Mishteh is short for Bet Mishteh Hayain. They Bet Mishteh, they were there Mishteh Hayain. And I don't think that the last two opinions of Rabbi Natan, Shiva, and the Rambam contradict each other. They're both talking about a wedding which had alcohol. I don't think you have to make a machloket between them. But I think Rashi is a little more generic. Nonetheless, they all agree it's some type of fat, a feast in which they served alcoholic beverages. Me'iri, and a book called Ramaz, which I don't own, but the book called Ramaz I saw quoted somewhere else. The Me'iri writes, Why did Rabban Gamliel's children forget to say Shema Yisrael? How did uh, Tamirei Chamim forget to say Shema Yisrael? They're celebrating. Very good. Celebrate. Because you're celebrating, you forget to... At every wedding I go to, people try to pull me out of my food so I can pray Arvit over here. Did you pray Arvit over there? Did you pray Arvit? Every time I go, it's like, leave me alone, I want to pray Arvit with you. But I want to have food. And it happens. You get up to pray, you come back, and they cleared your plate already. So, what are they? They forgot? They didn't have... They, you think the Nudnikim that remind you to pray Arvit, they didn't exist in the times of uh, uh, Rabban Gamliel's children? So, you're close. David, you're close. They were there... They were f- celebrating. How were they celebrating? Drinking. They were drinking. Me'iri writes that either they were drunk or they were sleeping because they drank so much they already had uh, passed out from drinking so much. Because of that, when they woke up, it already was too late for them to say uh, Shema Yisrael. By the way, I, I want to say that it's not... This is me. I-, I feel like I saw it somewhere else once, but I'm just saying it on my own because I-, I don't have a source. I don't want to tell you that I, I saw it somewhere. It's forbidden for a person to pray when they're under the influence of alcohol. You know this, uh, Halakha? 
Anyone who yes. prays while under the influence of alcohol is considered as if they're worshipping idols. It's a prohibition. If you go to Batei Knesset and they drink alcohol in those Batei Knesset and they pray, you should not pray with them anymore. Rashaim. An evil person prays when they drink alcohol. You're not allowed, you don't have the clarity of mind to pray. Chachamim call this person Just like you wouldn't go into a church and pray. Don't go to Batei Knesset where the rabbi is drunk by Musaf. It's not a normal thing that you, you will live in such a world. So maybe they knew that they had to say Shema Yisrael, but they weren't sober enough to say Shema Yisrael without being under the influence of alcohol. I don't want to say they were, Tamil went and passed out by the bar. The Tamil went and they drank, but now they realize I'm not in the proper frame of mind to say Shema. They were waiting for that to pass, they were waiting for it to pass, and then it was already too late, it was past Chatzot, so they came to ask their father what to do. I want to say that this is perhaps the, the best way to study this Mishnah that way. If you look in the Taz, the Taz in Orach Haim, Siman Reish Lamed Hei, the Taz asks this question, how did they drink before they say Kirat Shema? I mean, how did they even consume alcohol before they said Kriyat Shema? What's the answer that we said earlier? How did the Kohanim eat Tehumah before they said Kriyat Shema? They started it before. Very good. Maybe they started already during yeah, the day. Yeah, the happened at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They went to drink. And then, and then I mean, they started their Seudah Behetel. And because of that, the Taz learns from here that if you start a meal, you don't have to stop in the middle of the meal to go pray Arvid. And I think that's exactly what the Ginzei Yosef was telling us earlier. Just like the Kohanim, once they started Behetel, they didn't have to stop. The sons of Rabban Gamliel technically didn't have to stop their celebration to say Shema Yisrael. And that's a halakha as well. Mitzat Haddin, they didn't have to stop and say Kriyat Shema. And then what happened was exactly what Chachamim were worried about. They waited too long, they missed the opportunity, and now they came to ask Rabban Gamliel a question about what do we do when you're the minority and the majority disagrees with you, and uh, can we follow your opinion? And how does he answer them? Instead of saying, I'm your dad, listen to what I tell you, he told them, no, even the Chachamim agree with what I'm saying. Even the Chachamim agree with what I'm saying. And that's the way this Mishnah ends. And why did Chachamim do that? to keep people away from doing Averot. And really most of the guidance of our Chachamim is really intended to keep us on the, a good path, to keep us away from things that uh, lead us to Averot. I'll say that after we're talking about drinking and alcohol and getting drunk, I think that there is no greater, I don't want to say no greater, there are many problems in the world, but the problem of drinking alcohol is considered socially acceptable, especially in the Jewish community. Not necessarily in our Jewish community, but in the general Jewish community. You know, you can't roll into Beit Knesset in most places and uh, roll a joint and, and smoke over there. You can't uh, bring your, your cigarettes and smoke in the middle of the rabbi's derasha. But you can make a lachaim with the rabbi. And it's normal to see in many communities, not ours, in many communities, drunk people in the Beit Knesset. People get drunk. Purim, people get drunk. This attitude of alcohol and the abuse of alcohol and you should know, forget the people that are going to struggle with alcohol. There are many people who have substance abuse issues, and their biggest fear is to be in the Beit Knesset, where people will push alcohol on them and force alcohol on them. There's an article I once sent out to one of my shiwim, maybe my Sunday morning class, about a man who was sober for 22 years, until he became a Baal Teshuvah, and he moved to a community somewhere in New York where they drink a lot of alcohol. Don't ask me for details. And the rabbi, every Shabbat, no, oh, you're going to drink a lachaim. It's a mitzvah to drink a lachaim. And for years, he, one day, the rabbi said, listen, you have to do tshuva now and drink a lachaim. Drink a lachaim. And this man wrote, I'm writing you this article from rehab. 22 years of being dry, and it's the idiotic rabbi who forced him to make a lachaim. Our chachamim always drew parallels between drinking 
and problems. They look in the Tanakh. Everywhere in the Tanakh where you find alcohol, you find problems. You're never going to find alcohol. Wow, this person had a holy spiritual experience. It doesn't happen in our Tanakh. Maybe in a different Tanakh, but not in our uh, Tanakh. Every time you find alcohol, you find some terrible, pretty terrible stories. When you look in the book of Bereshit, forget the rest of Tanakh. Just in the book of Bereshit, you see people under the influence of alcohol and terrible things happen. I would say, maybe our first note of Agadah for the day, just the flavor of Agadah, maybe there is something to be said that this concept of distancing people from Avilot is in such close proximity to the abuse of substances in the mention of the Mishnah. The Mishnah talks about alcohol, and in the same breath, it talks about keeping people away from Avilot. This is not a pshat, this is not what it says, but this is again getting us ready a little bit for the world of Agadah. Next week, with Hashem, I, we're not learning next week, but maybe in the Aserati Mechuvah, so in two weeks from now, we'll have another Agadah class, maybe. And Hashem, I'm asking you, you finish with a pshat. Review everything we learned well. Write down the things. If you're not, if you didn't remember it, listen to the recording as soon as it goes online. Write these things down in your book. Don't be afraid to write in your book. Because next time we meet, I will not go through the pshat of the Mishnah again. Next time we meet, I'm going to start explaining things like, what is the spiritual significance of starting the first book of Mishnayot with Kirat Shema? Or maybe even better than that. Forget with the importance of you can come up with a lot of ideas why a book would start with the Kirat the unification of Hashem. What about the word Me'ematai? Instead of the word Matai, why does the Mishnah use the word Me'ematai? What is the meaning of the word Me'ematai? What message can I walk away from the word Me'ematai? Bizad Hashem, that is for next time. Everybody should have a beautiful evening. Bizad Hashem.